Good morning. Let's grab a Bible. Uh, if you have one, I'm going to be turning to the book of Ephesians. All right, Ephesians. Yeah, we're going to be in chapter 3 this morning, verses 1 through 6. So uh, we've been studying in the book of Ephesians verse by verse. The series theme is glorious grace because that's exactly what's happening in Ephesians, in particular in the beginning of Ephesians. Paul is, for us, laying out just this amazing foundation of the grace of God, glorious grace. And so uh, this morning, uh, the title of the message is The Messenger is the Message. Um, In fact, that was a book in 2017, The Messenger is the Message. It's a marketing book. And I was looking at it and I was reading the back cover, you know, what you do to figure out exactly what a book is about. And it says this, and I'll read it to you. Consider your last big purchase. What influenced your decision? A paid advertisement, a polished press release, a celebrity, a Twitter endorsement, a marketing email, a product web page? Probably not. More than likely, you listened to someone you know and trust. An authentic voice with relevant experience is the most convincing proponent when we're considering a new product or company. That is the power of an advocate. The Messenger is the Message. That's the title of that book. And I think we're all familiar with this dynamic, right? With the fact that the credibility of the Messenger can serve to either greatly authenticate the message or, in some sad cases, really discredit the message, right? We've all seen situations even in the church or in Christian in the Christian world where leaders have fallen and discredited their message right Aristotle the I guess you could say expert on persuasion talks about pathos which is you have to be passionate about what you're talking about he talks about logos you have to have an actual true thing to say and he talks about ethos you have to be credible and so this morning we're looking at the ethos of the Apostle Paul. The messenger is the message because Paul has been sharing really for like several sentences now. He's been talking about how the cross of Jesus Christ has really performed the unthinkable. It has not only reconciled us human beings, a fallen human traitor race with a holy God, it has killed the hostility between those who put their faith in Christ and a holy God. The cross also has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between Christians who come from very different backgrounds, Jews and Gentiles. Unthinkable in the first century that Paul would believe this and even more unthinkable say it. Yet this is exactly what he's been saying and we've been looking at. And so Paul is aware, as he's writing to the Ephesians, that this is not a subtle shift. This is a massive paradigm change. Will his readers take his word for it? What if some would say, look at Paul, he's in prison. That's a sign of God's discipline. 
that's a sign that he's gone a little too far with his message, sort of an extremist. Ignore Paul. Can you just hear it? What can Paul say to the Ephesians or to us? To be sure that he, as a messenger, validates and slams home the truth of the message he is sharing. That's where our passage takes us this morning. We're going to see in this passage, chapter 3, 1 through 6, four characteristics of the messenger. That is Paul. And these are true of Paul, and they are worthy of us emulating. So let me read chapter 3, 1 through 6, and pray. And then we're going to dive into the outline this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Bow with me as we pray. That was God's word read. Now let's ask the Lord to help us understand his word this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Even as this passage talks about us perceiving the insight that Paul had, to your revelation. God, by the same Holy Spirit, this morning, would you help us to have insight into your word? Lord, insight that doesn't just fill our minds with information and make us feel more correct than another Christian somewhere today, but insight that transforms our hearts that transforms our relationships, that leads us to obedience this week, to be greater followers of Jesus Christ, for the glory of your name. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. The messenger is the message. Four characteristics of the messenger. These are true of Paul. They're worthy of emulating for us. The first one is this. Be a credible witness. Be a credible witness. Look at uh, verse 1. Do you see it says, for this reason? Actually, I want to point something out real quick. When he says, for this reason, he has just been in chapter 1 and then in chapter 2 just unpacking the glorious grace of God. And it has, as Paul is writing to the Ephesians, it has led him to a place of prayer. And Paul starts almost all of his prayers in the New Testament with those three words, for this reason. You might say, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. And so he, in chapter 3, verse 1, almost everyone agrees, is starting a prayer. And then he gets distracted. And that just encouraged me this week. I don't know if you, someone needed to hear that today. Um, 
he gets distracted. He starts the prayer and then he kind of gets distracted and he goes off on a tangent, I guess you could say, about the messenger and the message and the mystery. And he goes into all of that, which we will. But in verse 14, he picks back up with the prayer. So. But the point here is this characteristic, this first one, is be a credible witness. So it says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. There really is a lot to unpack right here in verse 1. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Does your translation say that? Would you just check for me? I'm a prisoner of Christ. Is that true? I thought Paul was in prison in Rome. I thought he was a prisoner of Caesar. But that's not his perspective. God has enabled Paul to see his confinement, to see his being stuck and trapped in life as something that God has sovereignly done and worked for him. This reminds me of Joseph in the Old Testament, where he said in Genesis 50, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. It's interesting, and it seems like almost a small observation that we would take this out of this verse this morning, but it actually is, I think, pretty profound for us that we would just recognize how God enabled Paul to see his circumstance as one that God in his goodness had put him in. Prisoner of Christ. Then he says, on behalf of you Gentiles. He's speaking to the Christians in Ephesus that are not Jewish, the Gentiles. And he's like, I'm in prison for you. Again, credibility. They may have been doubting, well, you know, Paul's in prison. Should we listen to him? He's like, okay, let's have that conversation. I'm in prison for you. God, in his good plan, has put me in prison. I'm Christ's prisoner, and I'm in prison for you. Why did Paul really go to prison? I actually think right now it might be really key for you to understand more clearly the Apostle Paul. Why did Paul really go to prison? I think most of us would just say, oh, for preaching the gospel. And we would not be wrong. But why did Paul really go to prison? I want to show you. Acts 22, verse 21. I want to read this to you. Paul, as he does many times in the book of Acts, is, is recounting his conversion. And he is telling a crowd, a mob of how he came to faith in Christ in Acts 22. And he says this, and he said to me, he's speaking of Jesus, said this to Paul, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Hold on. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Here's what I'm saying. Yes, Paul was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. But if you really double click and zoom in on it, it's like Paul was imprisoned and arrested. And what really made people mad was that he insisted 
that the gospel was not just for the Jews, but was for the whole world. And that's what really riled people up and got him arrested and got him in prison. This was his heart, the apostle to the Gentiles, one who once persecuted the church, a Pharisee. So, the credibility question. Yeah. Like, would you, as a man or woman, would you suffer? Would you go to prison? Would you suffer like this for something you did not really believe in? Something that wasn't true. Paul was not saying, do as I say to the Ephesian Christians when it comes to this, be the body of Christ that is reconciled across the lines that divide us in the world. He was not saying, do as I say, but not as I do. His life was his sermon. He was in prison for this message. There's a tale uh, told of a great actor in England and a preacher once said to him, I wish you would explain to me something. Well, what is that? I don't know what, I don't know that I can explain anything to a preacher. What is the reason for the difference between you and me, the preacher said. You are appearing before crowds night after night with fiction. And the crowds come wherever you go. I am preaching the essential and unchangeable truth. And I'm not getting a crowd at all. The actor's answer was this. Oh, it's quite simple. I can tell the difference between us. I present my fiction as though it were the truth. You present your truth as though it were fiction. <laughs> as a credible prisoner, Paul was presenting the truth as though it were the truth. Be a credible witness. Are you a credible prisoner? That's a fair question to ask, right? It's okay to be convicted in church, right? Or to put it another way, you're like, I don't know. I don't think I'm in prison right now. It feels like prison. Maybe my life feels like prison a little bit, but let me put it another way. In what ways is your life showing the credibility of your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Put it like this way. You can fill in the blanks. I am enduring blank form of suffering from the sovereign and good hand of Jesus on behalf of you, blank people I'm trying to reach. I was thinking about it, thinking about my own journey, just even uh, being a pastor, planting a church. I was thinking, gosh, you know, it's true. I've endured a lot of the loneliness of leadership, significant stress on a family. From the sovereign and good hand of Jesus, on behalf of the people we're trying to reach and establish and grow a healthy church for in Raleigh. The religious and irreligious lost. But it's not just for pastors, right? Maybe you're just a young professional. I am enduring the lack of my bucket list of evenings and weekends from the sovereign and good hand of Jesus to be present to serve others. Or maybe it's for a mom. I am enduring the lack of a sense of purpose I once had or a lack of sense of career advancement from the sovereign and good hand of Jesus on behalf of my children to invest in them that they come to know Christ. 
Maybe it's for a, a missionary, one who is called to go to another place to bring the gospel to them. I am enduring a lack of geographical closeness to my family. Sovereign and good hand of Jesus to bring others into God's family. Be a credible witness. Live it, right? Amen? Amen. Four characteristics of a messenger. True of Paul, worthy of emulation for us. Be a credible witness. The second one, be a commissioned missionary. Be a commissioned missionary. Coming from verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Oh, we have another good verse here. (laughs) Oh, man. You guys, I'm telling you, this is good. He says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship. Stop. The word stewardship literally means one who is appointed to manage something, to manage a household, to manage something that doesn't belong to them, to take care of a business or a concern on the behalf of someone else. Paul understood his ministry as a stewardship. Here's what that means. That means his primary relationship as he sets about in this ministry to the Ephesians is not a relationship between him and the Ephesians. It's a relationship between him and God. It's vertical. Paul was divinely commissioned. When we serve the church and make it just between us and those we serve, that leads to burnout. That leads to questioning your sense of call. But when our service in the church is first from God and between us and God, it will go well and God will give us grace. And that's the next point. He says, God's grace, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, look at this, that was given to me for you. Okay. When God gives you grace, it is given to you for them. That, that's like a whole sermon right there, right? Paul's like, God gave grace to me, but it's for you. Not just for me. It's for you, the people I'm called to reach with the gospel. Paul's like, I'm not an inward-focused Christian. I am about the grace of God in my life, but it doesn't stop there. It's God's grace to me for you. Then you could look at it this way too. When God gives you a stewardship, it always comes with an empowering grace to fulfill what he's called you to do. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, In Paul's life, this commission, again, the point is, be a commissioned missionary, the second characteristic of the messenger. In Paul's life, the commission was very specific. It was not vague or general. Paul was on the Damascus Road. The story is told in Acts chapter 9. Jesus stopped Paul in his tracks going to persecute Christians and arrest Christians and kill Christians. Jesus confronted him. He blinded him. He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, you will be my chosen instrument to bring the message of the good news of salvation through me to the nations, to the Gentiles. 
So it was very specific for Paul. And one thing that's interesting is that for Paul, this was not a call to his people. Most people, you ask them, who are you passionate about reaching? They're like, people just like me. And that's not wrong. God has given us unique life stories and a unique ability to reach people that that are like us because we kind of know what they're thinking, and that's good, and God can work through that. But it's amazing how little we often say, you know, God has called me to reach people totally not like me. Kind of like Paul. I was reading the biography of Hudson Taylor called The Spiritual Secret. And they tell the story, and this is when he was under 18 years old. And so children and youth and kids, I want you to hear this because God can call you at a young age to serve him in a profound way. They were talking about him at this age. It says, it's talking about this particular experience that Hudson Taylor had. It says, he had come to an end of himself, to a place where God could only deliver. The quote will be on the screen, but not yet. So just let me read to you, then we'll see the quote. He had come to an end of himself, to a place where God only could deliver, where he must have his strength, his saving strength. If God would but work on his behalf, would break the power of sin, giving him inward victory in Christ, he would renounce all earthly prospects, go anywhere, do anything, suffer whatever cause might demand, and be holy at God's disposal. And so of this moment in Hudson Taylor's life, he said this, never shall I forget the feeling that came over me. Words could not describe it. I felt I was in the presence of God, entering into a covenant with the Almighty. I felt as though I wished to withdraw my promise, but I could not. Something seemed to say, your prayer is answered, your conditions are accepted. And from that time, the conviction has never left me that I was called to China. And just so you know, Hudson Taylor is is the one who founded the China Inland Mission, and God used him to bring hundreds of thousands of image bearers in China to faith in Christ. According to Matthew 28, it's not just Paul or Hudson Taylor who are called to be commissioned to missionaries. It's all of us. We're all to be sent, to be commissioned. And maybe you don't have a specific people. You don't feel like, I've not had that divine encounter where God said, go here. And that's okay. Maybe just start by thinking about who you know you're called to reach, which is your family. or those right around you in your sphere of influence. God has sovereignly placed you where you are to reach people for him. I love Philippians 1, verse 13, because Paul's talking about how, again, he's in the same prison cell, and he says, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard that my imprisonment is for Christ. The idea is, you know what? I'm stuck here. I'm stuck chained to a centurion. All right, I'll share the gospel with them. The question is not if we're called to be commissioned missionaries. It's really just who. And will we be faithful to that call? Who are your two? We say that at Fellowship. Be on mission. Be a credible witness. Be a commissioned missionary. And now number three, be a competent teacher. Verse three through five. Let me read. So he continues, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, 
which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Be a competent teacher. You know, to be a teacher in North Carolina, I looked into it. You have to graduate with a bachelor's degree from an accredited college with a 2.7 GPA. You have to participate in and finish a teacher preparation program. And you have to pass some tests in the area that you want to teach in. And then you have to apply for a license. These are the steps to becoming a competent teacher. It's not enough to have opinions. Oh, I got some opinions. I want to talk to some kids about it. It's not enough to need a job. We want you to be a little bit competent at what you do. So look at how Paul is establishing his competency as a messenger in these verses. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Now, now the word mystery in our day, it kind of means like mysterious, right? Like we think, oh, mystery. But in Paul's day, it just meant something only known to those whom it has been revealed. Like the special knowledge that the initiated know about. He's saying this is a mystery that used to be not known that God has now revealed to everyone particularly to Paul, and that's what he's talking about here. He says, the mystery made known to me by revelation. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, I'm a receiver of divine revelation. He's basically saying this, I didn't come up with the curriculum on my own. I'm not making this up. This is not my opinions. He's saying, this is God's word, revelation. He's not merely imposing his views on people. He's saying that to the Ephesians, to people questioning him, to people saying, you know, Paul's in prison. He's like, look, this is not my views that I'm imposing on you guys. This is the revelation from God. And he says, you can perceive my insight. Verse 4, Paul's writings, he's just pointing this out to them, and he's saying, look, read it again, look for it. He's saying, they contain a discernible spiritual insight into the mystery of Christ from the Spirit of God. Paul has spent time reflecting and prayerfully and taking personal ownership of what God has revealed to him. He's saying, this isn't just, I'm not just reciting something, I'm sharing insight with you. Verse 5, he says, it has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets. What's he saying here? Think about it. Read between the lines. He's saying, I'm not alone on this. I'm not a lone ranger. He's standing with the apostles and the prophets in community as a learner and teacher. And it's interesting, isn't it, how the lone ranger hearing from God, hearing his will and no one questioning it, is hyper-spiritualized in the church and in our day as if that were supremely Christian. And yet Paul's example is the opposite. Along with, yeah, he's got the direct revelation from God, 
But as he seeks to establish the authenticity of that and his own credibility, he appeals not just to his personal experience, but to the community that he stands in where there's a plurality of affirmation and belief. So, are you a competent teacher of the Christian message? It's not that you have to be Paul. It's not that you have to go to seminary or be a pastor. But do you read and study God's revelation? That's the Bible. Do you read it to the point of having insight? More than trivia knowledge. Do you stand in community as a learner and teacher? Four characteristics of the messenger. True of Paul, worthy of our emulation, be a credible witness, be a commissioned missionary, be a competent teacher. And now last, number four, have a clear gospel message. Verse six. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. So, he's been using the word mystery a lot, so let's just really clarify, not just what that term is defined as, but what he really means. He's talking about This mystery is now made known. It's this, that God's people everywhere are to have full clarity about it, that all people and things are being brought into harmony under Jesus Christ. That's the mystery. But it's now made known, so not so much a mystery anymore. Got it? Okay, good. He's saying it's made possible through the gospel. He gives three images to apply. We looked at three images last week that we were citizens of the kingdom, members of the household, and living stones in the temple, and now three more. He says, the Gentiles, that they are fellow heirs. All of God's blessings for all of God's people. There's no two-class Christianity. Them and then the rest. No, fellow heirs. All three of the words that he uses here start with the Greek prefix that means fellow, like together, like with. It's just like so emphatic that there's not to be this separation. There is to be this profound unity. Fellow heirs. And then he says, fellow members of the same body. The picture is the body of Christ, but it's like the human body. Many parts working together toward one common goal and purpose, being one as you are one body. This was huge for Paul. You know, one of the highlights of Paul's life, do you know what it was? Other than him constantly talking about how he was converted on the road to Damascus, do you know what the highlight of his life was? I mean, you just read Acts, you'll figure it out. It was the fact that he got to collect an offering from the Gentile churches and deliver it to the Christians enduring a famine in Jerusalem. It's like the highlight of his life. He talks about it almost in every book. He was so fired up about it because of what it displayed. 
You see that? Do you understand? The body of Christ, fellow members of the body of Christ, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. And so the point here is have a clear gospel message. So I want to pause and slow down. We're almost done. I want to make this last part really clear. Sloppy thinking, not good right now. Clear thinking. Look at those three words. Through the gospel. Do you see that? Here's the part where we need to have real clarity. What is the gospel? The gospel is the message of the Bible, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for our sins, and that we can turn by faith to him and be saved. The mystery, what Paul is talking about in this passage of the union of Jews and Gentiles, of reconciliation between people, all of that, that mystery is not the gospel. Rather, it is an important implication of the gospel. Let's just say that out loud together. Say implication, implication. That's right. The mystery is not the gospel. It's an implication of the gospel that Paul is in prison for. It's not unimportant. This mystery is necessary, essential, dare we say mandatory as an implication of the gospel message. So it has now been revealed, and the point is that it happens. This happens not through it being the gospel, because it's not. It happens, what are those three words? Through the gospel. All human and horizontal strategies that exclude the gospel of Jesus Christ while having great intentions will ultimately fail and leave us feeling guilty, selfish, like racist failures. We need the gospel. As we are reconciled to God through the gospel, as we deeply meditate on the level dirt at the foot of the cross, we find ourselves humbled, reconciled to our brother and sister in Christ from different backgrounds, and most of all, together reconciled to God. So I ask you, Is the messenger really the message? It's a catchy title. And it certainly rings true that the messenger plays an incredibly important role in authenticating or, in some cases, discrediting the message, ethos. But listen, Paul's life. Here's Paul. He's the messenger we're talking about. His life, as worthy of emulation as it is to us, he was a sinner. And the credibility and the commission and the competency that we see in the life of Paul is a result of his life being touched by and transformed by the message of the gospel. So it works like this. The gospel, the good news, Paul's salvation. And by implication, his transformed life. The gospel, the good news, 
salvation of Christians at Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. And by implication, transformed relationships between Jews and Gentiles in Ephesus. And then for us, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. If we believe that God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins and he rose from death and by faith, through grace, we can be saved. Our salvation. In the necessary, essential, and mandatory implication of this salvation ought to be a genuine, observable, and beautiful transformation in our lives and in our relationships with other Christians. May God make that true in your life, at this church, and everywhere the name of Jesus is lifted up. Let's pray.